What Confucius was expressing as well is a level of simplicity and directness, not being wasteful, being cognizant, being aware mm. of how things interact. There's less chance of things going wrong when you keep them simple and direct. Yeah, and in fact, this whole KISS idea, keep it simple, stupid, it was actually a systems principle that was evolved around 1960 in the military. Yes. It's amazing how many things come out of the military, but it's a principle that says that most things work better or best when made to be simple rather than complicated. You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 185, PH Factor, The Confucius Way, Kiss Realized. Come on in, have a seat. Join the conversation. Good morning, Harry. How are you? Good morning, Peter. I'm well. How are you doing over there in Orangeville, Ontario, Canada? Pretty good. We're just getting over a very humid day. Yesterday, it's cooled off quite a bit today, but been a fairly good summer. Not too bad. You've been getting it worse on the East Coast, and of course, the West Coast has been getting quite a bit of heat and humidity as well. Yeah, well, we have bodies of water surrounding us. We're almost an island here in Nova Scotia with the Bay of Fundy on the north side and the Atlantic Ocean on the south and east. So, yeah, there's a lot of humidity, and we will adapt and learn to live with it, as people do. And talking about adapting, we're going to be talking today about something which we've talked about many times in many podcasts and also in just casual conversations when we hooked up socially about simplifying life. Yeah. Master Kong, or Confucius, listed in our title today, lived between 551 and 479 BC or about 2,500 years ago. A Chinese philosopher and politicians whose teachings and philosophy remains influential across China and East Asia to this day. Confucianism focuses on personal and governmental morality, correctness of social relationships, justice, kindness, and sincerity. So here we are, Harry. Basically, what he's talking about are the essential qualities that he thought were an important part of family, and family is the most significant entity that the Chinese to this day build their lives around. And he was basically saying that leaders should be parental figures. Yeah, now let's back this up just a second here. What is your interest in Confucius? What brought this on? Because suddenly out of the blue, it seemed the other day you called me and you said, oh, I saw this documentary and it's really interesting and Confucius this and that. So why do you think you're connected to his writings? Well, Confucius has been part of my uh, life probably since my late teens. That's when I first kind of discovered him in high school. And uh, I found him very interesting, and not just from a philosophical perspective, but also from a religious one, because being raised Roman Catholic, I had a lot of questions about Roman Catholicism early on in life. And I was looking at other religions and social norms around the world, and I probably around the age of 15, 16. And I began to read a little bit about him. And I realized the impact this man had, not just back then, and even back then, actually, he didn't really come into prominence until hundreds of years after his life. Because in the early years of his life, he was actually scorned by many <laughs> because he was putting in ideas and thoughts that were counter to the noble or the wealthy in his time, which makes sense because 
it didn't serve their purposes. So that's how it came about. And then the other night, I happened to watch a BBC documentary on him, which I found really interesting and learned even a few more things because it had been decades, really, since I'd looked at any of his work. So then, as we often do, I called you, we discussed it. And of course, we've talked about minimalism and simplicity and many other related things over the years. And I thought that would be a good topic and a timely topic to discuss. Yeah. And my connection to Confucius is pretty tenuous in a way. These moments in life when on some television program, you see somebody say, oh, Confucius say, da, 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 da. And there are hundreds and hundreds of quotations attributed to him about life, about ethics, about relationships, about society, that each one is a kind of a teaching tool in a way, if you think about it. And Confucianism isn't really a religion, is it? It's really more of a way of living in society ethically and consciously in some ways, yes? Yes, which to me, again, my own way of thinking, that's what to me what religion should be about. It should be about uh, certain moralities, qualities that we all share regardless of our skin color or where we're born or our gender. Mm -hmm. To me, it's a broader spiritual base, which has a philosophical view. It's a worldview, essentially. Yeah. It's not a religion per se, in a way, but there are temples, aren't there, to Confucius all across China, are there not? Yes, a house of worship of sort. Oh, okay. But worship in a broader sense, not just religious. Worship being an idea. Uh-huh. Right. So, uh, can you share one or two of his ideas for us? There are lots of these quotes of his. Uh, do you have any quotes you could share of Confucius? There's a couple that come to my mind prominently. One that I really like is, and I quote, In a country well-governed, poverty is something to be ashamed of. In a country badly governed, wealth is something to be ashamed of. What I like about this quote is that basically what it's saying is you don't put down wealth while you also consider the less fortunate. So it's not about opposing things. It's about understanding the balance between the two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he's all about balance. He's all about stability. Absolutely. He's about tradition and he's about the family as a core member of society that keeps it stable in a way. Is that accurate to say? Yes, and it's also about taking personal responsibility. I'll quote another that suggests this as well. Do not impose on others what you yourself do not desire. Uh -huh. So that whole thinking about being more humble, being more modest, understanding the other side, which creates an environment for more collaborative, more compassionate interaction. Do unto others what you would have others do unto you. Yes, and essentially it also really indicates the importance of uh, taking responsibility for oneself and not putting blame on others or other situations mm. for decisions that are being made. Right. But it also involves looking up to, as you say, the leaders of your country or your province or what have you as a kind of a parental figure. And in some ways, China, where Confucianism emerged out of, is a prime example of a population that looks at its leaders as parents, if you like, as father figures to the nation, would you say? In that case, almost to a fault, because again, it's about balancing the two. The leadership itself may take advantage of that situation in terms of what you propagate to the population. I think Confucius meant it 
in a really more ground-to-earth, humane level, meaning that it's about parenting, but it's also about respecting your children, respecting the thoughts of all individuals in your home, whether they be young or elderly. It's not just about venerating your parents. It's about really living on a more equal, more balanced level with all individuals. Mm -hmm. Unlike what happened in the last couple of years where leaders all across the world, in a sense, jumped into the role of strict parent telling their children, us, what we can and cannot do for our own good. And we were encouraged to follow our government's precepts and protocols and to basically treat them as if we were children who didn't know anything, didn't know better, and just to follow and just do it. It was very interesting because the conspiracy theorists, so-called conspiracy theorists out there, were claiming that the COVID lockdowns and the mandates were a kind of direct attack on family cohesion because a lot of families were divided against each other. Members couldn't travel to visit each other for various reasons because of the lockdowns, etc. So in some respects, the Confucius family idea was really directly under attack during these last few years, which translates into the stability of society breaking down as well. And I think we've seen that to a certain degree, at least here in Canada. Confucius, when you talk about family or individuals and social responsibility, he comes from an angle of compassion, not punitiveness. Uh -huh. And when you have very, very strict parenting, it's not about the strictness. Discipline is very different from being overly strict. So finding that middle ground whereby it's a consequence-based mode of raising a child, not a punishment-based mode. Mm. It's not about if you do this, you're going to get this. It's more of when you do this, this is what happens. Right. So this is basically an ancient form of conservatism, isn't it, in a way? I mean, conservatives in this part of the world would espouse much of the same things that Confucius did. The importance of the family, leadership needs to be strong, but also compassionate. It's very traditional, very kind of looking to the past and keeping society stable as we move forward into the future. Stable, but also flexible and open. And there's a warmth associated. When you use the word conservative or conservatism, especially when you talk about it in a political sense, it has uh, more, what I would say, hard edges to it. This type of conservatism is more about balance and stability and keeping equilibrium. It's not about harsh edges whereby you create this political environment that is hardline versus mm -hmm. making sense. Right. So give us another Confucius say, quote. Well, one that I really like a lot, and I've, I've thought about this often in my own daily dealing, so to speak, quote, if I am walking with two other men, each of them will serve as my teacher. I will pick out the good points of the one and imitate them and the bad points of the other and correct them in myself. Mm -hmm. Again, taking personal responsibility. Yeah. And learning and recognizing your own weaknesses, that we have weaknesses that need correcting. 
Yes, and not just that. What I really like about this quote, too, is that it's about reflecting. When you look at someone and you see something that obviously causes some type of reaction in yourself, something that you really dislike, oftentimes it's a projection of what you yourself are carrying. Right. So if you take this thought and you put it into practice, it will give you that extra time sometimes that we need to take or should take, in my opinion, before we jump or react to something. Because if you acknowledge that whatever you're finding a flaw in, you're also capable of doing yourself, you will be more compassionate, I believe, Mm. in your response to the situation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it reminds me of that new age adage, you create your own reality, which means that whatever you draw to yourself, you have projected outwards from yourself. And so your reality reflects what you're projecting yourself. So lots of connectivity between a very ancient, thousands of year old, philosophical, ethical, religious set of precepts coming out of Confucius and the modern world, which is filled with similar problems to 2,500 years ago, (laughs) plus more. The other part of our title, of course, is K-I-S-S, mm-hmm. keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. That's the acronym is KISS. And I think KISS flows very nicely from what we're talking about. Because in a sense, what Confucius was expressing as well is a level of simplicity and directness, not being wasteful, being cognizant, being aware mm. of how things interact. There's less chance of things going wrong when you keep them simple and direct. Yeah, and in fact, this whole KISS idea, keep it simple, stupid, it was actually a systems principle that was evolved around 1960 in the military. Yes. It's amazing how many things come out of the military, but it's a principle that says that most things work better or best when made to be simple rather than complicated. And it was actually coined, this acronym was coined by an engineer, actually, a lead engineer at the Lockheed Skunk Works, (laughs) named uh, Kelly Johnson. And Keep It Short and Simple was also around at the time too, as in sort of a similar kind of idea. But what he did was he handed a team of design engineers a handful of tools with the challenge that the jet aircraft they were designing had to be repairable by an average mechanic in the field under combat conditions with those same tools. And so it had to be easy enough, simple enough that someone could be stupidly in the field with all this mayhem going on and do the repair straightforwardly. So sayings like less is more would be a kind of a KISS acronym. So keeping things simple, keeping things straightforward, kind of a Zen thing in a way, focus on one thing at a time and understand it. I totally agree with that. And when you talk about simplicity and Zen-like, I know that when I was talking to you the other day, you mentioned something that was uh, happening to you out in your property as you're walking your cats. You expressed something to me that I thought was very Zen-like. Yeah, it was a kind of a kiss situation. Two elements of it. One is we walk our cat outside on a harness and leash so that he doesn't get lost in the forested area around us and be in danger of foxes and coyotes and that sort of thing, and to get him familiar with the landscape so that when we do let him out on his own, he'll know where he is and where home is, etc. And so I have to walk him out 
onto the property. And half the time he just goes under a bush and just lies down and relaxes <laughs> for like a half an hour, 40 minutes, which means I'm basically standing beside him or close to him or maybe sitting on the grass and just being with him and keeping an eye. And it's interesting to be aware of what my thoughts are in those moments and how they quiet down and how after a while I'm just kind of looking at the grass, I'm noticing the stones, I'm looking at the earth and thinking about the red clay here in Nova Scotia and how friable it is and the flowers, just basic things, seeing a hummingbird coming by, very, very interesting thoughts that are very uncomplicated and very present. And the awareness level really increases when you're in that mode because you're really paying attention to things. They're not just around you. You're actually connecting with them on some level. And as we talk about this, the Swedes have a word called legum. Oh, yeah. Which is the whole idea of just enough. Again, connecting to the keeping it simple mm. about not requiring more. The idea that human desires are insatiable and that cravings lead to misery isn't something new. It has ancient Hindu, Buddhist, and Greek roots, and it's a keystone to many religions. And the Swedes' twist on ancient idea is this thing called legum. Mm, very cool. Interesting. Which means just enough. And in simple terms, it's finding contentment in satisfaction. Yeah. I think I wrote a children's story called Just Enough a number of years ago about that very same idea. <laughs> well, the other example I wanted to share with you, Peter, of the KISS principle is that we also have to take our forces out of their pens. They're in temporary pens right now that don't really have much grass. Mm. So we have to bring them out to this big open field, which is unboundaried, and feed them grass, etc., let them graze while holding on to a lead. And again, it's like leading them out and what they do for the next 40 minutes is they're basically grazing as you stand beside them. And then they might move a step to the right and you move a step to the right. And basically you're simply being with them and allowing them to be horses. But inside, the thoughts have to be present to the horse. It's not like I can stand there beside the horse and start thinking about what I'm going to do tomorrow or later that day. Because mm -hmm. horses are 1,200, 1,500 pounds, and if they startle and move in the wrong direction, you have to be ready to respond and move appropriately. You can't daydream. And so you have to stay present, stay focused, and stay very calm because the horse can pick up on your heartbeat and your sense of anxiety. All those things are so zen-like. It's scary how zen-like they are and how challenging that is for someone living in the 21st century life. It's a challenge for sure. And it's a great lesson in KISS. Sure. And that also benefits both parties because I'm not an expert in horses, nor am I doing what you're doing at this time. But I believe that there's an energy, a universal energy and an energy in the air. The calmer you are, the more in tune you are with the animal or whatever environment you're in, the more it's going to contribute to the overall peace of that moment. The horse in this case, would probably feel that energy, would feel that calm, mm. and he or she would respond accordingly. Yeah, you can't bring complicated thoughts and ideas to an interaction with a horse. Horses respond 
to very clear, very precise cues, bodily cues usually. So you can't layer in complicated ideas into how you respond to a horse because they won't quite get it. It will confuse them. So you have to go back to fundamentals, to simple communications. Well, like many animals, they rely very heavily on instincts. Yeah, but they're also very intelligent at the same time. We tend to not give intelligence to animals very easily, but horses are very intelligent. It's just that they work on a different primal level, given that they're predator animals, they're prey. Yes. So it's a whole different ballgame when you're dealing with an animal that is cautious and frightened easily and that sort of thing. Yeah, we're talking about survival instincts, which have the same effect on humans. When you're in a survival instinct mode, you're going to respond to situations very differently. Yeah, and interestingly enough, too, there is this survivalist movement out there that we get glimpses of every now and then of groups of people, lots of them men, unfortunately, out there in the wilderness learning how to live on nothing really other than the land. Mm -hmm. They're also into being able to shoot wildlife for food and that sort of thing. And essentially, it's getting back to a more simple lifestyle, less intellectualism and less complications. Because from the survivalist point of view, society is going to come to an end. It's going to disintegrate at a certain point and people need to be ready to go back to a simpler way of life and have those skills. And so these people are out there in our world. And part of that is also in response, direct response to technology, which although it's meant to simplify things, the actual creation of the technology or the implementation of the technology is generally quite complicated. So I think more and more people are also recognizing that they need some kind of a backup in the event that all these technological marvels fail to operate or sometimes break down. So to keep centered, you have to have a sense of self and a sense of being able to cope with situations so that you're not completely at the mercy of these so-called technologies or institutions and so on, which tend to control much of our way of life. Yeah, we did talk about fail-safe mechanisms in the event of technology failing in one of our previous podcasts. Mm -hmm. This KISS idea also applies in the martial arts, if you think about it. The idea of creating the most effect with the least effort is a kind of a martial arts idea. It's interesting that you say that because when you asked me early on in the podcast about my interest in Confucius or Confucianism, also related to that because in my mid to late teens, I undertook to study martial arts and that was also one of my interests. And in particular, and you and I have discussed this a few times, Bruce Lee at the time, and still is to this day, I still have his book, Jeet Kune Do, and a number of other writings that he did over the years. Mm -hmm. And as you stated, the simplification of movement. And he did a lot of it by studying animals. Yes. Nature and direct lines. A simple thing like when we watch movies, a person throws a punch and they sweep their arm around. And he indicated, for example, that that is a complete waste of energy and power. If you throw your arm out straight, direct, mm. you decrease the amount of time it takes to deliver the punch. And it also has more power because you can put your whole hip and body into the motion. So these kinds of things all sort of integrate and work together. They're physical and mental connections in whatever situation you're in. 
Yeah, in my martial art that I trained in, ninjutsu, essentially what you do is you learn a lot of the kata, if you like. You can call them kata or combat scenarios, but you don't learn them with the idea of cementing the movement into your body. You learn them with the idea of becoming a fluid warrior because every situation is unique and different and you can't rely on the exact same movement every time. But the idea of the movement, the sense of flow is important to kind of integrate so that in the moment of a real conflict, you're free to move in any direction, free to respond in any way that is the most appropriate way. And you're not stuck in a kind of groove. You're shedding the form to be a formless warrior, which is another way of saying, keep it simple. Exactly. And you're also taking energy, energy flows. So oftentimes you're using the force as being applied against you. You're taking that force and instead of trying to oppose it, you now use it to help your own situation. Right. One of the other elements of KISS is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you have to fight the common urge to replace or change old things that are working reasonably well with brand new, you know, Amazon bought stuff. Once upon a time, you would not buy new things. You rarely buy new things. You'd always fix old things so they keep working. Yeah, so maybe we need to add, uh, keep it simple and also make it repairable. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> no, because it's true. A lot of times uh, we're handcuffed because we're dealing with things that we cannot apply our own skills or abilities to because we're dealing with things that we don't have the tools for. Yeah, exactly. One that William Shakespeare coined, he coined the phrase, brevity is the soul of wit. Oh. So basically he's saying, make your statements in communication short. And if they're short, they're often more intelligent and effective than big, long essay-like responses. So it's a kind of a lesson in terms of relationships. How do we communicate with our friends, our spouses, our children in such a way that the message is simple, but effective. And it doesn't always mean big, long diatribes. Then perhaps we can end this podcast on this note. Mm. There's a so-called golden mean, oh, if you're yeah. familiar with Socrates and Plato. And basically the idea is that the correct path in any situation is a middle path between extremes. Mm -hmm. It originates in earlier Greek mythology, but this can be applied to many things today. And basically everything that we've talked about over the last 30, 40 minutes has been about finding that middle path. In fact, for listeners out there, Peter's middle name is Golden Mean. Peter Golden Mean Noche is his <laughs> complete name. <laughs> it's only an aspiration. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. But uh, yeah, so very interesting because originally uh, didn't uh, plan on this podcast being a kind of two wings, Confucius on one wing and the KISS principle on another wing. But it just seemed to turn out that there's all of these connective tissues between this ancient philosophy and this sort of modern, quick and easy way of reminding people about the simplicity of life. So I'm happy this happened. I don't know if anywhere anyone has ever put those two ideas together other than on this podcast. So good for us. 
<laughs> it's, an, it's an original. A lot of the things we've been doing lately have been perpetuated by the situations we find ourselves in or the situation we find ourselves in with various things that are happening politically, socially, economically, on a global level. And some of this, we're hoping anyway, that even though this is just a conversation between a couple of guys, that some of this information will be helpful to people. And also, I would uh, suggest to anyone who's not very familiar with Confucius and his writings and his travels, look him up. He's an extremely interesting individual, and definitely I would recommend him to all our world leaders as well, as not just an idea, but something to actually be pursued, followed, and perhaps implemented. Yeah. On the KISS side of things, I would remind people that, yes, the world is extremely complicated a lot of the time, or seems to be, but if we actually look under the surface of all of these phenomena in the world, there are typically one, two, or three underlying principles that play into every situation. And if you just look for those underlying principles that are consistent in all kinds of situations, that simplifies life considerably in terms of our understanding of it and our approach to it. So dig down a little bit and you'll find the, the simpler ideas that are underpinning everything we do and think about. As many philosophers have suggested over the centuries, life is relatively simple, but we humans is complicated. Exactly. And on that note, Send along your comments, audio comments, especially. We'd love to hear your audio comments. Give us your best Confucius quote, and we'll share it. And as Confucius say, ciao, Peter. Ciao, Harry. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to The Sill Podcast.